the blood of Jesus speaks for us. When the accuser comes and tries to condemn us, Lord, just help us remember it's the blood of Jesus that speaks for us. It's the blood of Jesus that gives us the victory. Lord, it's what you did for us. Lord, help us to accept what you did. Lord, help us to accept that. Lord, help us not to think it's what we can do and how good we are, but Lord, that we just accept what you've done for us. And Lord, we thank you for the victory. Lord, the victory over those things we struggle with. Those things that we can't, we can't figure out, we can't quit, we can't give up. Lord, we thank you for your victory. Your victory because of the blood of Jesus. Lord, just help us to receive and to accept all that you've done for us. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just think for today and, and just look at some of the words that Jesus said between his resurrection and the time he went back to heaven. There's a time when Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he came back and he walked the earth and talked to his disciples and then he went back to heaven. And if you think about it, it was just a, a small space of time, but there was things he wanted to say, and I think it's important to just look at them, and we're going to kind of do an overview um, and just take a look at that. Um, before we do, I want to start with 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. The Apostle Paul, he talks about some facts about the resurrection that I think are, are pretty important. He says, For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. You know, Paul says here, you know, Jesus, when he, after he rose from the dead, he was seen by the apostles. At one time, he was seen by 500 people all at one time. And then he made different appearances, and Paul says, and last of all, he was seen by me when, he, when Paul saw Jesus in a vision, and he spoke to him and called him. I want to think about that for just a second, because I always say, this is always something I've said, I've said, if that's true, why would people... Why would people die? Why would people die for somebody if they thought it wasn't true? Because all those, or not all of them, but those 12, um, most of them died a martyr's death. And if they thought it was a lie, why would they do that? Because they saw Jesus. I want to read something that uh, goes along with what, I, what I've always said. Um, Chuck Colson, who um, back in the time of uh, President Nixon and Watergate, he was called uh, President Nixon's chief advisor, and they called him his, hitchet man, hitchet, his hatchet man. <laughs> and uh, he made this statement. He later became a Christian. He made this statement. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. And he said, how is that? He says, because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. 
They wouldn't have endured that if it wasn't true. And he says, the reason I believe that is because Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. He says, they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. Think about it. You know, what does it take for you if it's something's a lie that you're going to die for it? He says, you know, those, those men, they couldn't keep it for three weeks. They couldn't. He says, you're telling me that 12 apostles could lie for 40 years and then be willing to die for it if it was a lie? And that's just something to think about, you know. Not that we need uh, those kind of things to prove something to us, but, you know, it's something to think about. You know, would you die for a lie if you knew something was a lie? Would you die for it? You know, if you really knew in your heart that it wasn't true, would you be willing to preach it for 40 years and then die for it? I doubt it. I doubt I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Why would you? But those apostles, they believed. They believed it was the truth. And they were willing to die for it. And so, you know, it's one of those things that we see that, you know, Jesus appeared to, to many people during that time. Speaking to them, saying different things. In John 20, John 20, verse 30. It says, And truly Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. He's saying, you know, it's interesting to me. You know, we got the things in the Bible. And John says, well, actually, there was a lot of things that weren't written down. There was even more than what's written down. You know, that's something to think about. You know, there's a whole lot of things that happened. You know, he spoke to a whole lot of, whole lot of people during that time. And these are written down for us and for our benefit so that we might believe. So what are some of the things written down? So I'm going to take a look. This isn't all of them. We're not going to look at all of them today, but I want to just look at some of the things that happened during this time. In John, the 20th chapter, the 24th verse. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, which wasn't with them when Jesus came. He wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus came and, and spoke to them. And the other disciple therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and my hand into his side, I won't believe. And after eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them and Jesus came. The doors being shut and stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my, look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, and Lord, I, my Lord and my God, and Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So we see that, you know, Thomas, you know, he's probably like a lot of us, you know. I'll believe when I see. I'll believe when I see something. What's it going to take for you to believe? What do you have to see? You know, Thomas said, well, unless I can put my hand in his, put my finger in his hand and my hand in his side, I'm not, I got to see it to believe it. And then I said, I think Jesus said something for us. This is for us. He says, you know, Thomas, he says, there's those that are going to believe who never see. That's us. 
You know, they were with him. They were with Jesus. Thomas had the opportunity to, to do that. But he says, but there's some who are never going to see him physically. But they are still going to believe. How do we do that? We believe by faith. We believe by faith and not by sight. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we can't see. We walk by faith and not by sight. Is it easier to, to see? I don't know if it really is. Because sometimes people can see a lot of things and they still don't believe. You know, I think if you really look, you can see God. You can see him and you can see him actively work if you really look for him. If you really look for him. But basically, we walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And then Jesus, he went on. And in John 20, 19, prior to this, the same day of the evening before the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood in their midst and he said, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. Twice he said, Peace to you. Think about it. What is it we need so much in ourselves and in the world around us? We need the peace of God. We need the peace of God. In the midst of what's going on around, I think we, I don't know if we need it more today. I don't know if that's fair. I think we always need it. But you know, when there's a lot of chaos and a lot of turmoil around us, then we really need the peace of God. And that's within us, within us. And it says, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Okay? We're going to talk about this quite a bit, but I send you. He says, as I've been sent, now I send you. When he had said them, he said, when he had had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He breathed on them. What did he breathe? He breathed his spirit. When God breathes, he breathes spirit because God is a spirit. He breathed his spirit on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I believe he gives us, he gives us the ability to speak for him. That when people sin against us, we can forgive we can forgive. And when, when they, there's no repentance, we can hold their sins against them. You know, we, have that, we have that God-given power. Why? So we can show his love, not so we can go around and judge people. You know, we don't, we don't forgive and retain. We don't do that to judge people. We do that to show God's love. Show his love. Show them that he's a forgiving God. So that they might know him. What do people know when you talk about who God is? Do they, use, do they see him as somebody who's critical, judgmental? Or do they see a forgiving God? A forgiving God. One that wants to forgive. Forgive them. Do I forgive? Do you forgive? Do they see that in us? Do they see that in us? 
You know, it's important that people see God in us. You know, now, it's not, it's not a, well, just I love you, wishy-washy, do whatever you want, I don't care. It's I love you enough to tell you the truth. One of the problems in the church today is we love, but we don't want to tell the truth. We want to love people so they all love us and everybody's happy. But we need to love enough to tell the truth. To tell the truth. So that people know the truth. They know what God says and they know who God really is. So they see us. We'll tell them the truth, but we'll still love them. We'll forgive them, but we're going to tell the truth. You know, it's not wishy-washy. It's not a, I love you, you can just do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. It does matter. And so then we go on in John, the 21st chapter, beginning at the third verse. Simon Peter said to the rest of the disciples, I'm going fishing. Simon Peter was a fisherman. He loved to fish. And Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we're going with you. So they all went out and immediately got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. Isn't that what fishermen love? Now, some people claim they like to fish just because they like to fish. But if you're a fisherman, you don't like to fish just to sit there. You like to fish to catch fish, okay? And that's what these guys did. And so they fished all night and caught nothing. When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. And yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, well, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. If you're a fisherman, the last thing you want is somebody telling you how to fish. I've been around fishermen, you know. And they're already frustrated. They haven't caught anything. You get a fisherman that hasn't caught anything. He's not in a good mood. And if you tell him, well, you know, I, that, those, fish, those guys have been on that side of the boat all night. I mean, they've been going back and forth. If you've ever been around fishing, if they're not biting here, we're going over there. If they're not biting there, we're going to change bait. We're, they're going to figure it out because they're fishermen. They want to catch fish. And Jesus comes along and he says, Hey, he said, just throw the boat on, or the net on the other side of the boat. Now, somebody's got to be going, what difference is that going to make? But they did it. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net of fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not yet broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. What do you think that was all about? Uh, what was that about? What, was Jesus trying to, what was he trying to tell them? I think he was trying to tell them, you know, in life, you're going to do a lot of stuff on your own. 
And you may be smart at it. You may be really good at it. You may think you know all how to do it. But there's going to be things in life that you're going to do that aren't going to work because you didn't trust me. You didn't listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Now, if you listen, I'll help you. But otherwise, you're on your own. The Bible says, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So many times we lean on our own understanding. We lean on what I can figure out, what I know. I know how to do this. Or this is the way we've done it for so many years. We've always done it this way. And it worked. I'm telling you, there will be things you've done a certain way that have worked that are still wrong. That you need to sometimes change. We need to hear what God's saying to us. We need to hear what he's saying. I think he was just showing the disciples, hey, listen to me. I can help you. I can help you bring in the harvest. You don't have to figure it out on your own. You don't have to know it all. And then in in John 21, verse 15, they went on with that. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. You know, Peter, he just had kind of a short fuse. You know, he was kind of, he would tell you what he thought. And he was getting tired of this. Well, you keep, I told you twice, and I don't, you know. And he says, said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter said, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And he said, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself. You walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Then he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You know, we we know Peter, he was pretty brash, pretty arrogant. He was the first one to jump out of the boat. He was the first one to say, hey, I can walk to Jesus. And he did. And then, you know, he got to thinking about it. And then he went down. Jesus reached out, picked him up. You know, Peter had to be kind of in your face, pretty arrogant. And so, you know, What was Jesus trying to say to him? I think Jesus was looking at Peter and he says, you know, Peter, you're willing to do anything. You're kind of aggressive. You're kind of brash. You'll get the job done. But you know what? Most of all, I want you to take care of my children. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Sometimes that's hard. That's hard. I think it's specialized for Peter and those who are, you know, a little more brash, a little more aggressive. Personalities. I think, I think it was just Peter's personality. It's the way he was. But you know what? God wanted to work on him. Jesus wanted him to teach him something. 
because he says, you know, this is what I want you to do. And he said, follow me. Follow me. Go do this. This is what I want you to do. One of the things that, that troubles me about the church today, I think the church spends a lot of time entertaining and making people feel good and trying to build big churches. The downside is we're not feeding the sheep. The downside is we're not caring about people. Nothing wrong with being big, but you can't forget. To, that's what we're to do. We're to take care of the sheep and the lambs. We're to care for them. We're to be shepherds. We're to be shepherds. You know? And so I think we've kind of, I think we bought into the American dream in the church. I think the church kind of got that American dream inside of it. And we started to think, that if we followed systems and man's advice and man's thinking that we could be successful. And success meant being big and having lots of people. I'm not against having lots of people, but you better take care of them. You better feed them. You better care for them. They're God's children. They're not to be used to sustain a church. Sometimes they can be used, abused. That's not what it's about. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to say to Peter, you know, Peter, just take care of my children. Take care of my sheep. Care for them. You know, he said, follow me. And then, you know, different places he says go. I think that was one of the big themes throughout this whole time. He was preparing them to be what he wanted them to be and to do what he wanted them to do. Very familiar scripture in Matthew, the 28th chapter. Matthew 28. Jeff mentioned it during worship, I think, didn't you? <laughs> um, in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus spoke to the disciples. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. All authority. He had all. He has God had. He had and still has all authority. And with all the authority in heaven and earth, he says to you and me. He says, okay, now you go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Amen. One of the last words he spoke. Now go to Acts. Acts, the first chapter. Beginning at the fourth verse. While, they, while being assembled together with them, he commanded them, don't depart from Jerusalem. Don't leave here, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he says you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. You know, you got to stop there and say, you know what? They still want to know if they were going to set up a kingdom, if they could be in charge. They still want to know, are we going to get this place straightened out? You know, it's kind of like today. 
Are we ever going to get this? I want to tell you something. God's not as worried about getting America straightened out as he's worried about us and going and sharing the gospel. Go share the gospel. Do what I called you to do. Don't worry about a lot of other things. You can get sidetracked if you're not careful. You know, right away they were sidetracked. Oh, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom? He says, look. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. And then he goes on. You know, they kind of threw that in there. They interrupted him. And then he goes on. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, receiving him out of their sight. And when they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who has taken up you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The last things Jesus said was, number one, go. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Baptize, teach, make disciples. That's what we're called to do. And he says, when you go do it, he says, you don't have to do it in your own power. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to be somebody special. You don't have to say, well, I can't do that. He says, I will give you the power to do it. I'll give you the power. You're going to receive power to do this. You know, if you look at the disciples, up until this time, they really struggled with a lot of things. You know, Thomas doubted, Peter denied Jesus. They ran, they hid, they struggled. And Jesus says, okay, go to, wait, wait. And he says, I'm going to give you power when I send my Holy Spirit upon you. And then you're going to be witnesses. You're going to be witnesses. You don't have to do it on your own. I'll give you the power. So many times we want to do it on our own. So many times we think we can figure it out. Again, personally, I think what the church has done in a lot of ways is they've taken on the world way of building an organization. Can you build an organization? Yes. You absolutely can build organizations doing things a certain way. And there's ways of doing that. But that's not what the church is called to be. This is not a business. It is not or an organization. It's a living being, the church. It's alive. It's alive with God's people. And we get our power from the Holy Spirit. Not from our intellect. Not from our ability to figure things out. Not because somebody else did this. You know? You could probably get a big church in all kinds of ways. If you, you, know, if you had enough money, you could give away enough money. You could get people to come. You know, there's all kinds of ways of having a big church or doing stuff. But Jesus says, you know what? I'll give you the power. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And then you can be my disciples. Then you can witness. Then you can go and touch and reach people, make disciples. That's what he called us to do. And if you look at a lot of the things he said, you know, he was preparing those disciples. He was still teaching them. He was showing them. He was working in their lives, trying to get them to the place where they could be what he wanted them to be. And then he says, okay, 
wait for the Holy Spirit, then you're going to do it. And what happened after that? What happened? When those disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they changed. They changed. I don't believe, I don't believe any, I don't think any longer did they have the same feelings they had before. I think a lot of struggles were gone. I think they knew what they were supposed to do and they did it and they trusted God. They trusted Him. And what happened? What happened? Twelve, probably more than that. There was, I believe, 120 in the upper room. Out of that little small group, filled with God's Spirit, they turned the world upside down forever. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? How can that be? Because it was God with his spirit through just ordinary people. We think about today and where we live and how things are going, and we say, wow, I hope things get better. Well, I hope it turns around. Well, boy, this or that ought to happen. Why do we think that 12 people couldn't do the same thing again? Why do we think that God working through people can't do the same thing again? How's he going to change hearts? He's going to change it by using his people full of his spirit who trust him, who allow him to work through them to share the gospel with others. One at a time. One at a time. Some may get opportunity to speak to more than one. Most people are going to do it one at a time. God's going to send people across your path and mine to share with. One at a time. And he's going to give us the power to do that. He's going to give us the words, the gifts, whatever we need to share that gospel to be witnesses to those around us. Yeah, but I don't know what to say. He'll tell you what to say. Well, I don't know what to do. He'll show you what to do. Well, I don't know how to. He'll show you. He told his disciples, he says, you go, and when you get there, I'll give you the words. Well, Lord, couldn't you give me the words ahead of time? Let me, you know, can I go over them a couple times so I got it? No. He said, just go, and I'll give you the words. I'll give you the words. Trust me. Trust me. You know, he told his disciples, follow me. Follow me. Trust me. Go. Now you go. That's what he says to us. The same thing. The same thing to us. Nothing changes. Every generation has to go through the same thing. Because if we don't, we're only a couple generations from people not knowing the gospel. And guess what, folks? We're there. There's people all around us that have never heard the gospel. You say, oh, that can't be true. I'm telling you, there are people all around us who have never heard the gospel. And how are they going to hear it if we don't tell them? How are they going to hear it if we don't tell them? Well, that's the preacher's job. Yeah, it's my job, but it's just as much yours. And that's one of the things that I will fault preachers for. They think if they preach on Sunday, then they don't have to witness the rest of the time. Some do. I'm just telling you. I think it's as much my responsibility to be in the community to witness to people as it is yours. That God's called each and every one of us to witness.
We're all to witness. We're to share. Share what? Share the truth. Share what we know. Share who Jesus is to you. Share that. Be a witness. Be witnesses. That's what he's saying. And, you know, for us, he wasn't here. You know, for us, he's coming back. You know, we're the, we're the part where he's coming back. The disciples, they saw him go, and he says, well, whom you see go, he's coming back. And he's coming back for you and me. And you know what? The time is short. Time is short. It's always, it's always short. You know why it's always short? Because we don't have that much time on this earth. The Bible says life is but a vapor. Life is but a vapor. Some vapors are a little bit more than others, but they're all just a vapor. You know, when you're young, you think life's forever. When you get older, you think, wow, that happened fast. Life is short. Jesus is coming back soon. Soon. We're going to face him face to face. Soon. One way or another. Now, I don't... I don't care to argue about that with anybody, you know. Some people say, well, in my lifetime, Jesus is coming back. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. One thing about it, we're all going to face him one day. Life is short. How are you going to use it? How are you going to spend it? I believe as Christians, we need to spend it reaching others. Waiting, looking for opportunities to share his word his love with people around us. People around us. People are perishing all around us. People are perishing. And they don't even know it. How are they going to know unless we, we tell them? Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts. Lord, it we would be willing to share your gospel. Lord, if we've never heard or accepted ourselves, I pray that you would just speak to those that are here that maybe have never accepted you. Lord, just help them to make that decision. It's just a decision. It's a decision. Lord, I need you. I accept what you did for me. I accept that you died on a cross for me, for my sins. I'm a sinner. I need you, Lord. Forgive me. And then, Lord, help us remember that as we go, we don't go in our own strength. Lord, you sent your Holy Spirit to give us power so that we'd have power, not be powerless, not be helpless, but we'd have power to share your word and your love. Lord, help us to be willing to step out and trust you to do that, to do what you said. Lord, we just thank you for being with us. Lord, give us a love and a heart for those that don't know you. Lord, they're, they're perishing. And Lord, we would love them and reach out to them. Lord, we just thank you for that. Thank you for being with us this morning. Lord, I pray if anyone would like prayer, that you just encourage them to come up and let Rose and Jim pray with them, pray with them right after the service. Lord, we just ask you to dismiss us now. Lord, help that word to burn in our hearts so that we'd be willing to share it with those around us. We just pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We do not.